It's football and other F-words. That's right. It's Thursday morning. That means you're going to hear my voice twice if you listen to both football and other F-words and 440 Sports later today at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Which you should be I doing. Promise it, yeah, I promise <laughs> it will be uh, a totally two different conversations and stuff because, because you know, I got like got to keep it separate. Got to keep the people, you know, wanting more. Maybe not more of me, but at least more Titans talk. And I'm joined by Mike Herndon. You can follow him on X at Mike Herndon NFL. He has a piece out at paulkarski.com. Tell the people what you wrote about paulkarski.com. Wrote about Will Levis's development, Tajay Spears as a feature back, the inevitable uh, impending draft discussion that we are going to have for the next five months, and whether uh, uh, Craig Ackerman will be the, the last Titans uh, coach to be fired this, this offseason. Which is, it's, it's an interesting discussion to have. We'll, we'll, of course, be talking about Craig Ackerman. We're going to talk about the Colts game. Uh, talk about Mike Vrabel's buddy system involved with Craig Ackerman and maybe potentially other coaches being fired. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, why you should not listen to an insane person like Monty Rice and uh, not worry about anything about player development or coaches and culture in terms of what Monty Rice says. And we're going to talk about the Miami game specifically. Is the Mike Vrabel magic gone? Is there such a thing as like that Vrabel win that nobody's expecting? Because this roster is pretty bad and I don't think there is. But we'll talk about more about that later. First, you can need to go over to PaulKarski.com to subscribe. You also need to go StackingTheInbox.com and subscribe. Got some tremendous content out this week. Probably one of our better weeks of uh, content as far as Stuff that's interesting, like I talk about if there's a good loss, I talk about the buddy system, but I also kind of, I dove deep for like two days. I'm, I was hunkered down in the office here for two days, many, many hours, and trying to figure out what is up with the second half offense. And we'll talk about what I discovered later and everything, but it is not what I, I what I discovered was not my intention to discover. So it's it's the everything I saw kind of made me view and go back and watch games and all this stuff and come up to a different conclusion than what I initially had set out to do. Uh, we also have Titans need to change their view on wide receivers by Trajan Watkins. And then coming up on Film Friday, all the explosive plays from the Colts game, Stoney is going to break down and film one by one and see what happened who's to blame, what's going on. Great content, secondinbox.com. Of course, always great content over at pockarski.com. And of course, great alcohol over at Bluegrass Beverages. Um, I thought I was going to pop some champagne I bought from Bluegrass Beverages because I thought it was going to be a pretty like thrilling win uh, of a crazy yeah. game. I mean, like popping champagne bottles for a Colts game is not great, but it was a, it, it would have been like, it's like the Lions game. It's like one of the most fucking interesting, crazy games you can watch. And I felt like if they win this game and somehow pull it up out of their ass without a punter, with um, a backup holder, two block punts, I think it deserved a little cork popping. So I was going to pop it. Then I didn't because you can't because you lost. Yeah. Uh, but I got my champagne at Bluegrass Beverages. You should go to Bluegrass Beverages in Hendersonville, Tennessee. They've been alive longer than both of us. They've been alive longer than most likely you. So they know what the fuck they're doing. Bluegrass Beverages, Hendersonville, Tennessee. Mike, I'm going to start with the Colts thing. Because I, th I think, I mean, at this point in the week, everybody has beaten the Colts' loss to death. Uh, 
you're not very active on Twitter or slash X anymore. Um, so I want to get your thoughts on the game and uh, your thoughts on, is this a good loss for the Tennessee Titans? Um, <laughs> I, the game was batshit crazy. Um, in every way. Uh, I, I don't know that you can take a lot out of it, to be honest with you, just because like, I mean, two block punts, like all the weird fumble stuff, um, all the weird, almost turnovers, you know, Ryan, the, the Titans probably still win the game in spite of all that shit. If Ryan Tannehill knows how to put a football down for Nick Folk or had practiced that once, maybe at, at any point, <laughs> you know, over the last year or whatever. Um, The Colts aren't very good. The Colts aren't very good. They're fucking, it's unbelievable that they're seven and five to me. Um, That's right. I mean, like at this point, aren't they schedule merchants? Yeah, they're total frauds. They're total frauds. Um, And they will get smoked by the next good team that they play, guaranteed. Um the Titans aren't good either, right? Like, I mean, this is just a bad football team. And we've known that for a long time now. Uh, we're going to find out more how bad they are on Monday night, um, which uh, I went on a Dolphins podcast uh, earlier this week. And um, they asked me for a score prediction. I was like, ah, I don't know, 45 to 10. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, this is going to be a blowout. I, I like This is not going to be a competitive game. Um, so, it, yeah. It, this team is what it is at this point, but no, I, I do didn't you think it's, a, do, you, do you think there's such a thing as a good loss though? Because that that's the thing I want to propose to you. Cause I mean, he, here's the three things I laid out in, in the article that I wrote on stackinginbox.com. Like one, the obvious thing is that you get better draft position. Okay. So like, that's not, like the yeah. number three overall pick is in play. People need to like realize this, that the number three overall pick is in play. There is a very easy path for that to happen. A high probability path. Second, I feel like at least in a loss that they can point to that they fucking found guys that want to be out on the field. Like, I feel like almost everybody, even Christian Fulton, who had a who had a good game when he was used properly, which is a complaint I have. But you can read all about that and listen all about that on football show in my Monday article. But I feel like at least you have at least 30 guys that you could go into battle with. And I think that says a lot about like, Mike Vrabel's hold in the locker room in the sense that everybody he asked them to fight and they came out and fought like yeah. that. That is what happened. And then thirdly, I think it's just good to get these reps, get this stuff out of the way, work out your kinks in a lost season anyway with Will Levis, with Jalen Duncan, stuff like that. And and it got it got the coach that needed to be fired the most out of these last five years finally fired. Like that's a pretty good loss. Yeah, I mean. I- I mean, I guess I go into these games now feeling almost completely numbed the experience of whether they win or lose. Um, I just want to see what how the players do is, you know, the young players, how are they getting better? Are they making progress? That kind of thing. And I thought that it was a positive game from that standpoint, because I like one of the things I mean, Will Levis didn't have a great game, right? Like he he fumbled the ball three times. Um, you know, he had some other plays where he put the ball in harm's way. His completion percentage was terrible. Um, but he also had the flash plays, and he also showed fight and fire 
and was out there leaping over defenders and, you know, yelling at DeAndre Hopkins, even though maybe he shouldn't have uh, on that play. But, you know, who knows what happened there. But um, I like to see the the fire out of Will Levis. And I like that he also drove them down the field in the fourth quarter to give them the lead, what should have given them the lead had they, you know, made the extra point. I like that we saw him put that together um, in a in a big spot. So I I think it was a positive, another positive step from Will Levis, even though he felt like he played terrible. Um, but I think we're starting to see Will and, and Levis. He did. The, I mean, it was yeah, not I mean, a he good did. game. He did. It was not a good game overall, but there's enough there. I think that you can right. walk away from the game and say, like, okay, there is stuff here. There is stuff here to work with, and it's not going to be perfect right now. Um, He's not CJ Stroud. Like, right? CJ Stroud, he's been really, really good this year consistently. Um, he's not that guy, but nobody thought he was that guy either. Like, right? I mean, he doesn't suddenly get different expectations now uh that he's been thrown into the starting lineup than he did pre-draft. Like he's still a guy that has a lot of tools, needs to put it together, but the tools are clear, like, and it's clearly translating at the NFL level. And he looks like a guy that belongs, right? I mean, like, to me, you you watch that game and you feel you don't feel like that's a guy that can't play quarterback at the NFL level. You, that is a guy that can play. They just need to figure out how to hone his skills, put better people around him. You know, get a left tackle that doesn't give up nine pressures. Um, you know, that would be great if they could do that, but. Um, I've, I love the game encouraged by Levis. I love the game even more encouraged by Tasha Spears, who, you know, we finally got to see kind of in a feature back role for a little bit at the end of that game when Henry went out and I thought Spears looked great, uh, consistently in this game, especially when he was given, you know, volume of carries towards the end. And to me, like that is a preview of what you're going to see next year. Cause I think whether Henry's back or not, this is Tajay Spears' backfield moving forward in 2024. So I, I think I left this game impressed by him. I thought Josh Wiley played a good game. Um, you know, didn't do a ton, but I thought he was good in, in what they asked him to do. Um, so yeah, I thought, I thought there's, there was good things to take away from it and you lost and improved your draft position. So, yeah. I mean, honestly, I kind of, I do feel like it was overall a good win. You'd rather them lose comp- looking competitive and looking like they give a shit and it being a close game and you still get the benefits of the loss. Um, so exactly. I, I think that's kind of what you want the rest of the way is, is a yeah. lot of really close losses would be great. Yeah. I, you know, I, we, we all know that he had six drops and he had drops against Tampa Bay as well. And, yeah. and let's be honest here. It's a tell it's a Jekyll and Hyde situation with Will Levis. Um, it's basically, and this is what I wrote about today. I went into it thinking of talking about the second half performances by the offense in general. I was like, it's a Tim Kelly issue. It's an offensive line issue. It's a wide receiver issue. Then it's a Will Levis issue. And then when you really start diving into all the, the numbers and you go back and watch a few games and what he's missed and stuff, it's really a Will Levis issue offensive line wide receivers and then i'm now putting tim kelly last and i i get to this point where this is the point i'm trying to make and i and i do it at the very i do it throughout because when you write an article like this that critiques a young quarterback everybody thinks that you hate 
a young quarterback. And then everybody tries to blame everything else around the young quarterback. So I went oh, through 260. Me. I know. <laughs> yeah, I went through 261 data points trying. Like, I literally went in not wanting it to be Will Levis. Like, I'm actively looking at, oh, well, the offensive line stats really don't help me. Well, then it's got to be these stats. Well, those stats don't really help me. It's got to be these stats. And it didn't help. And you get to the end of the day, and this is all this is say. What I we are about to talk about on this podcast does not have anything to do or dictate with the future of Will Levis. I think you build around Will Levis. I think Will Levis has everything you want from moxie to, to the want to, to the toughness, to the arm talent. I think he has everything that you want in a franchise quarterback. But well, and he is trending better than what Josh Allen's rookie season was. Like in completion percentage, CP CPOE, which is completion percentage over expected, adjusted completion percentage, big time throw rate, turnover worthy play rate, drop rate, time to throw, pressure, uh, uh, all those things. Will Levis wins, which is the stuff you really want Will Levis to win in EPA right. per play and pressure to sack rookie. Josh Allen had a had is better in both of those, but really he's trending better through six games versus Josh Allen's whole rookie season. He is trending better. So that is a good thing because that's the guy that you kind of like your ceiling with Will Levis and Josh Allen, what they all had coming, what they both had coming in was concerns about accuracy. That was the biggest concern. And so they both struggle and are struggling with accuracy in this season, in their rookie seasons, which is not a surprise. But it's also totally correctable and fixable, right? And I believe that in Will Levis's case, his second half issues tend to derive from trying to play hero ball, trying to push the wins over and trying to get this team a win, which is what you want your quarterback to do but maybe he needs to harness it in a different light, in a different way. And what I mean by that is because people talk about the drops, right? Well, I mean, all these drops, all these drops. Okay. So versus the Colts, there were six drops. Even with those six drops included, his completion percentage over expected was still supposed to be 63.3. Now, if you take away the drops and everything was perfect, it would be even higher. But not everything is perfect. So at the end of the day, he walked away with a 48.5% completion percentage and next-gen stats, which uses tracking data, by the way, which uses separation in their formula, has him that he should be at 63.3. So not everything's going to be perfect. And on the season since he took over, and this is not a second-half stat. These are both uh, full-game or season-long stats. What it is right now is 57.8. What is expected is 63.4. If everything went perfect, 69.4. Like if everything was perfect for Will Levis and nobody had any drops, it was 69.4. That That's not that big of a difference where we have to like point at drops. And the offensive line gets better in the second half and Will Levis statistically, by all metrics, gets worse, way worse. And it all comes down to accuracy. But it's all fixable. It's all correctable. I think, And I think he knows that, right? Like I think if you asked Will Levis, Man, I got a lot of work to do in the second half. I got to calm down. I got to keep my cool, keep my anxiety low. I don't have to play hero ball. Let's do the game plan to a T and let's worry about execution and keeping time of possession. 
and that's a big key for Will Levis going forward, but a big takeaway from his first six starts. Yeah, and, and I agree. I mean, I, I think, like like I said, he, he's not a finished product right now. We can't view him that mm-hmm. way. It does take guys time. I mean, he, even, you know, Jalen Hurts, you think about how bad Jalen Hurts was the first couple years in the league, um, and then all of a sudden he just blows up. Um, some guys come in, they hit the ground running, you know, like Joe Burrow, um, Justin Herbert. Those guys were pretty good right away, um, and everyone saw it. And, you know, obviously CJ Stroud has done that this year, but other guys take time. It's not the same. It's not the same pattern of development for everybody. And in like to right. use a non quarterback exa- example, like Austin Jackson getting paid by the Dolphins this morning. Um, he was Austin pretty was bad for three seasons. <laughs> absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible for two full years. And then all of a sudden, he puts it together and now he's got this big extension and he's, he's a, you know, cornerstone piece of their offensive line. Um, and development is not linear development happens in fits and starts. Sometimes it takes, you know, a certain thing to click uh, for a guy to start putting it all together for the game to slow down as, as people talk about. And, and, you know, that, that phrase is uh, become like a cliche for a reason, because there is some truth to that, that, you know, the game slows down for you at some point where you're not thinking through. You don't have to think about the the plays because the plays are natural to you. Like, you know them without having to think about them, and you're able to just read and react to the defense within the structure of the offense. So, like, we're we're still very much in the process with Will Levis, and he's – has way fewer reps than a guy like CJ Stroud going all the way back to training camp. You know, obviously Ryan Tannehill was getting the reps with ones. He had the injury. He was splitting reps even with the twos and threes with Malik Willis. So like there's a lot of stuff as far as like opportunities for reps in practice, reps in the game, things like that, that he's just not as far ahead on currently. Um, because the Titans were going to try to win this year, right? Like, and they, this year wasn't about developing Will Levis. This year was about winning for them at the start of the season and then changed to being about develop, development once they realized they sucked. Um, but here, here we are, and this is development time for Will Levis. So I, I don't think you've got to look at it and expect him to be 300 yards and six touchdowns every week and, you know, he looks like an all-pro or whatever. This is basically glorified practice the rest of the way that you're going to be watching on Sundays, uh, getting him some real reps, you know, hope, hoping that he gets better uh, as, as he goes and develops some chemistry with some of these receivers. So I, I'm not alarmed at all by any of this stuff. Um, and I, again, like I, I really do think the elite throws that he makes at least one, he makes at least yeah. one elite wow throw. Yeah. And it's not even the big deep shots that he hits on the money. It's like these layered intermediate shots down the field yeah. that you're just like sideline shots that you're just like, whoa. And then there, listen, there's a lot of shots where he should give his wide receiver the chance for a defensive pass interference call instead throws away out of bounds, specifically in the Colts game. But, I mean, you're just like, it's there. And I agree with Ike yeah. Carnage right here. The future of guys with issues like Levis early in a career decided by work ethic. Luckily, I think Levis is a psycho, so he has a <laughs> shot to fix it. And I agree. Like, yeah. that is the thing. Is like, that's what has me bought into this whole Will Levis thing is that I know what he's like work ethic-wise. We've, we've heard, we've read, we've seen evidence of it. 
Like, we know what he is. And right now, it's just an accuracy issue. And we know the team's going to get better around him. Like, we know the supporting cast is going to get better. So we don't have to worry about that. But we do need to see improvement from him individually. And I think it's going to happen. And, I'm and not saying it's going to be Josh Allen. I'm just saying, I think you got a franchise quarterback. And I also don't think it's a raw accuracy issue in the fact that, like, you know, when he's throwing from his base, you know, with with proper technique that he cannot make the ball go where he wants it to. I think he is very capable of being an accurate passer. I think that where you see his misses pop up most of the time is when he's either feeling rushed and he gets a little lazy with his footwork or he tries to throw it off of a, a weird arm angle to try to get it around a, a pass rusher or or just, you know, he's trying to flick it in somewhere. I think that's where the accuracy issues pop up more often than not. And I think that stuff can be coached out of him, you know, just by showing him that, hey, you have time here. Use your fundamentals, step into your throw, use your technique, and make sure you deliver an accurate ball. You know, Not every throw has to be, you know, a, a sidearm shortstop flick just because you can do that, right? Like, there, there's – there's that element to his game. And I, I like that he has that kind of thing that he has that he has a little bit more of the playmaking gene, I think as a quarterback than what I might've thought he did coming out of Kentucky. And there's definitely some opportunities where he's trying to make something happen. And he does have some creativity with it, the way that he's able to deliver the football, which is great because that's what all the great quarterbacks are able to do. Um, but you also don't want to do that every play because it does start to affect your accuracy. And and I think there's probably some trust in his protection uh, that's causing him to rush his uh, mechanics on some of this stuff too, which I think will get better when he has better protection. I mean, he his distrust of his protection is warranted, <laughs> right? Like, it's not like... He should be used to it, though, to be honest with you, yeah, from his I days mean, yeah. in Kentucky. But he's not seeing ghosts like he's seeing like real monsters, right? Like this, this isn't a a situation. It's a a Sam Darnold situation, right? So, um, yeah, I think it's going to just take time and then better personnel around him. But I I think the the there is a good quarterback in there. It's going to be up to the Titans to pull it out. And I think they're doing a good job so far pulling it out. Uh, Ikeen Carnage, just real quick as we wrap this up, do we know who his personal quarterback coach is in the off season? It was Jordan Palmer, if I'm not mistaken, right? Pre-draft, pre-draft, he trained with Jordan Palmer. Pre-draft. I don't know if he'll yeah. do that every year or if he'll use somebody else. I, I think that was, um, yeah, I think that was just a pre-draft thing for him. Yeah, but that that was who it was. Um, we don't know who it is right now, but that's who it was. And, he and was I think Jordan, Jordan Palmer, Palmer show, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, that and that he, was a great. He'll be Jordan Palmer. That was a really does Jordan good Palmer live in Nashville? Uh, I think I thought he's a Cali guy. I thought he's a Cali guy. Is he? I, th- I thought he. Well, I think I thought he was a nashville guy for some reason oh, um but anyway i mean if he regardless jordan uh, palmer is really that, really good quarterback yeah coach, by the way. um so speaking of like development and all this kind of stuff let's let's first get to two people that are not here craig ackerman monty rise craig ackerman hallelujah like i hate saying that because someone lost their job but he got paid really well to not be good at his job and it's hard for me to feel bad for people who got paid really well to not be good at your job for six seasons, yeah. six seasons. It was or five and a half. It was r- ridiculous that he lasted this long. He should never lasted this long. And, um, but it became so apparent. Like he does not coordinate. 
He's not a coordinator because a coordinator would have coordinated between Ryan Tannehill and Nick Folk. And uh, before the first field goal, the extra point that was missed, he would have coordinated and said, hey, man, we re- we got a punt blocked against the Saints. And we already had one punt blocked <laughs> against the the uh, Indianapolis Colts. You think we'd change things up? So stuff like that is just like, he's never developed a returner. He's, they have the last three seasons, they had, they were top 12 in penalties on special teams the last three seasons. He's never been good in the Rick Gosling um, metrics. Uh, and he's like a special, the, the you want to know about special teams, Rick Gosling's your guy. Um, the DVOA has been pretty atrocious for the most part. So really, I'm not surprised. He just doesn't seem like he does anything. And this kind of ties into the Monty Rice thing, too, because I kind of think, like, well, if Craig Ackerman's gone, Tom Quinn's like, yeah, I'm good with Monty Rice. We don't need him around anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. what was going on in the special teams room and and stuff is just interesting to me. But I think that there's a real chance that you get a real upgrade in a special teams coordinator this year. I mean, it can't be worse. Uh, but next year, you get a real upgrade, whether that's Anthony Levine, who's pretty well-respected around the league, and he's an in-house candidate whether you keep Tom Quinn another year, which is probably the variable thing to do. But if he was smart, and I agree with Mello, you go after Larry Izzo, give him like some special upgrade in his title, go after Larry Izzo, who you played with, who has the last two seasons, the number two and number three. He has, he has a top five special teams unit the last two seasons over in Seattle. So go get that guy. What were you, were you like? Were you, I want to ask you two questions. Were you surprised that Mike Vrabel fired a coach midseason and do you care because the un, the big question that everybody cares about and I personally don't but do you care if Amy Adams drunk put a bug in his ear about it uh I mean I don't I don't think I care about it um really I mean at the end of the day I I, I guess I don't buy this idea that like Mike Vrabel had to be coaxed into firing Craig Ackerman. I, I think people people that say that do not give Mike Vrabel enough credit for simply having basic common sense. We know that Ackerman has not been a super high performer, and yes, he has not fired him previously, but he's also never had two punts blocked back to back. The second of which injures his star punter. And then is compounded by the fact that he didn't have another holder ready uh, to to come in and hold for Nick Folt, which cost him an f- extra point that cost them the game, right? Like, that has never happened before. So I think I, it, you can't have that happen in a game without and, – and have a background of, like, just not great performance or, or even bad performance and survive it. Like, you can't have that kind of disaster. Um, I, I don't think – I don't think Amy had to say anything to Vrabel about that. I think that was just a obvious thing that had to happen. Um, I, you know, I, I yeah, I, I don't think seeing your punt, your one of your best players, which is sadly your punter, on crutches does something has to do something to a coach, right? Like, yeah, that's how I view it. Like, you, you see, your players see this coach, and even Amani Hooker goes on record with PaulKarski.com after the game and talks and brags about the coaching of the special teams coordinator over at the Indianapolis Colts and and specifically mentions coaching twice about how great they are coached. Yeah. And then you see your punter come in and he's, and he's, you know, one of your best players. 
you you see that you lost the game because you couldn't make the you didn't have the holder ready. And listen, some of this is on Vrabel for keeping him on too long. We'll talk about buddies and all that. But at the end of the day, I I have to agree with you. Like maybe you know she called down and said, "Hey, what's the update?" But like I think Vrabel was going to fire Ackerman, and I think everybody's like, "Well, this is the first time that he's ever had ever fired a coach in the midseason, so it's got to be someone else." Dude, how many coaches have like specifically gotten a player injured? Like, how yeah. many people? I, I as bad as Todd Downing was, like, you can't sit here and say that Ackerman wasn't worse throughout his tenure. But what that was the worst game by any unit, and it's the e- yeah. to, it should be the easiest unit to to grasp and coordinate, and he. He doesn't do anything, and he his pressers doesn't seem like he ever has an answer or takes any blame or anything. He just dodges questions and stuff. And so to me, it's just like you take all of this combined and the imagery of a of a player on crutches because of poor coordination. I think it's pretty easy. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it is an easy decision. I don't, I don't, I can't imagine he was had he had to be pushed real hard to to make that call. I, I think. Yeah, people that pretend like he refuses to fire any coaches. He has definitely fired coaches. I mean, he fired, what, Ty McKenzie when everyone thought Ty McKenzie was like a future head coach and stuff like that. And, you know, he has fired coaches all along the way. Um, So I don't think there's a a hesitation to do that. He doesn't do it in season because he doesn't believe that it helps the team. But I think he knows that this is a lost season. And at this point, it doesn't matter. Just get him out of the building. He knows he's going to fire him at the end of the season. Anyways, just go get it. Yeah. And he, he probably felt like he couldn't go back to the team. And, you know, this week and stand in front of them and tell them that Craig Ackerman gives them the best chance to succeed on special teams after that game. Right. Like I, I'm sure that's probably a big factor in why he did do it in season. It's just that he can't stand in front of the team and say that with a straight face uh, after Two punt, two punts get blocked, and they miss an extra point because of lack of pre- preparation. Because like you just can't do that. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was just it, it was too bad of a game for anyone to survive uh, from right, a coaching right. standpoint. Um, you know, let's let's dive in before we get to Monty Rice. Let's dive into the buddy system. Let's dive into who may be on the hot seat. And we know who fans want on the hot seat, but I don't think that's very likely. But I want to talk about this narrative of him only hiring his buddies and stuff like that. Welcome to the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like that's that's my first thing. When he initially got hired, only 33% of his coordinators of position coaches were people that he knew. Now you hold on to a guy like Craig Ackerman when you way past you should, he becomes a buddy. So right, right now, he's tied for fifth with 76.9% of his position coaches and his coordinators being what you would classify buddy, someone that he's either played with, played for, coached with previously, something like that. That's that guy. And to be honest, that's what happens the more years that you have experience in the NFL your average year of um, it was like 13.8 years of experience for anybody below the average, which was 51.2, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And it was like 22 years for anybody above the average. So to me, it's just like, that's just how it goes, right? Like, that's just how the NFL works. And I, this, and people like this, this is 
where we're going to get into with the Shane Bowen, the Jim Schwartz and all this kind of stuff. Like they had any control over what Jim Schwartz could do. And like Bowen had any reason to be fired makes zero sense. Um, But at the end of the day, you look like you look at Frank Reich, right? 7.7%. He's by far the lowest of coordinators. He had none of his coordinators. He had a relationship with only 20% of his offensive coaches and 0% of his defensive coaches. Okay. He has 15 years of experience to pull from, okay? And on top of that, now that he's been fired, they also fired the two coaches, or the one coach, which was Deuce Staley, that he had a connection with. They fired him too. Now all the stories are coming out that these coaches were back, were uh, uh, going behind his back, talking to the ownership, texting, colluding against him. They were all infighting. They weren't on the same page. This is why... Most, the majority of coaching staffs are buddies. This is why, because you have to be on the same page for it to work. And Frank Reich assembled what everybody assumed was an all-star cast, right? It was an all-star cast that right then and there shows you, like, it doesn't matter how good the coaches are. If there's no relationship, there's no relationship, and you're one in 11. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's funny because people expect the NFL to be different than than like any other walk of life. But look, um, my day job, right the the job that actually pays the bills, not this uh, not not this Titan stuff. Um, you know, I started a company, and and five of the you know six people, six first people that we hired were people that we'd worked with before. Um, because you want to know why <laughs> we, we had relationships with those people. We trusted those people. We knew, you know, their level of knowledge, their level of expertise. Um, we didn't have to build that trust. Um, and they didn't have to build that trust with us either, by the way. Right. Like, cause leaving your current job to join a new startup, you know, isn't that different from like joining a new coaching staff. Right. So you go, you know, a new coaching staff comes in and, you know, let's say Indianapolis or whatever for a coach to, to say, all right, I'm going to leave my job to go take a job on this staff. You're putting your, a lot of trust in the hands of that coach that you're going to work for, because if he gets fired, you all get fired. Right. So there's a lot of trust that has to be there and there's just not any substitute for it. Like there's no instant, like you know microwave version of trust um so i think that's it's unrealistic for people to just assume that every coaching staff should just go hire you know whoever the hottest coordinator is or whoever the hottest position coach is and bring them in and they'll it'll all work great like it it's not it's just not the way any workplace really functions um because relationships do matter trust does matter um, and the Panthers are a perfect example of that with, you know, the, all the stuff that was going on behind Frank Reich's back, even with good coaches. I mean, those were like everyone, you know, during the off season was toasting how great of a staff Frank Reich had managed to put together and, oh man, look at all this. They're all going to come together. They're going to do such an amazing job. Now they got Bryce young, you know, this is a team that's on the upswing and they're awful. They're like by far the worst team in the NFL, um, and, uh, I think a lot of it, it comes down to the fact that like 
all that crap was going on behind the scenes and that will sabotage a, a you know a locker room it'll sabotage a football team in general it'll make coaches you know do a worse job of of their actual job um so yeah i, I think do you always want him to just give jobs to his friends just because, you know, they're, they're friends? No, like they need to be qualified, obviously, but you if try to interview two people outside the circle and Justin Otten outside the circle. Yeah. Yeah. And Charles London was outside the circle, right? Um, no, he's my, no, that's right. He dude. was Texan. Yeah. He right. tried he to interview B and, uh, N- Nagy and they didn't come in. Yeah. Supposedly. But I mean, supposedly like, tried. It it, it definitely helps um, when you know somebody Chris or Harris, you, or you have a referral, you know, like you trust another coach um, like Chris, Chris Harris might be an example of that. Right. Like I, we know mm-hmm. Mike Vrabel and Ron Rivera have a good relationship. Um, yep. If, if Ron Rivera knew that Chris Harris was going to leave one way or another, him Vrabel calling him up and saying, Hey, what do you think of this guy? Tell me what he's like. How's he, how is he to work with? That goes a long way with Vrabel, I'm sure. And, and allows him to build that trust quickly, quickly with a Chris Harris. So uh, he has gone out and gotten some guys that, that are outside of his immediate circle. Um, But there's a good reason for why, like a lot of these staffs are built out of guys that, mostly have worked together before mostly have like some shared history, some shared vision of, of how football is supposed to be played because not everyone sees the game the same way. So yeah, I, I, I think I thought your article was great in, in putting some like numbers and context to that, because I, I do think people, I think everyone, every fan base probably harps on the same thing uh with their coach and Listen, Steelers fan base wants Tomlin traded they want Tomlin traded and they want Bill they want to hire Bill Cower there are fans that want to hire the fire Mike Tomlin to hire Bill Cower like what that's like doing Jeff Fisher let's fire Mike Vrabel to hire Jeff Fisher isn't that insane to you like it, it, it makes insane. me feel good though right like doesn't it make you kind of feel good when you see insane fans like that like Chiefs fans are all fed up with Andy Reid apparently they don't think Andy Reid's any good anymore, who just won a fucking Super Bowl last year. Yeah, that makes me yeah, feel kind of good because it lets me know that, like, I know the Titans fan base is crazy, and I'm not saying you guys aren't. But it still makes me feel good to know that every fucking fan base is, has this contingent of people that just don't understand how good they have it or how football works. Like, that's yeah. just, it's just crazy to me. Well, it's like, it's like the Chiefs fans that post that meme about, you know, uh, watching a football game. Oh, I'm so excited to watch yeah. my team play. And then, like, you know, dying inside for, for three quarters. Oh, cool, we won. Um, yeah, you guys don't realize how, how it's like, what it's <laughs> yeah. like for teams that guys, don't have Patrick I, Mahomes. You haven't had to deal with that since Herm Edwards. Right, like, yeah, give me a yeah. break exactly so i yeah in in the tomlin thing is insane because i mean the guys he's literally he's won a super bowl he is 170 and 98 uh over his 17 years as a head coach and has never ever had a losing season ever and he's gonna have another winning season this year despite the fact that he has a you know bad quarterback play he had you know he has a terrible offense. Had to fire line. his coordinator. He fired his coordinator. So I mean, like this guy wins no matter what. Um, and yeah, I I kind of view Vrabel in the same vein as Tomlin. Um, obviously, Vrabel has had losing seasons already. Well, one and he's on pace to have another one here. Um, 
but I, I kind of see Vrabel the same way. Uh, but yeah, it's just insane that, that Tomlin, that anyone wants Tomlin fired. I, it's still insane to me that people want Belichick fired. Now I, I get the Belichick thing in that, you know, he selected the players. He built that roster and that roster is awful. Um, but I think, I think Belichick is still a good football coach. I like if, if, if say the Titans did trade uh, Vrabel away, I'd be all about bringing Bill Belichick here. Like, right. I mean, it's, don't let him be GM though. No, don't (laughs) let him be GM. He needs to have a GM and not just like a secretarial GM. Like, like apparently Rand Carthon is for Vrabel. I wasn't going to bring it up. uh, You know, (laughs) you said it. I mean, I got to get those faxes in. Yeah. I got to make sure the paperwork. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. That was such a weird, weird deal uh, <laughs> this whole thing with Rand Carthon is weird right now but um yeah either way either way I think yeah the other fan base is being crazy it does give me some form of comfort as as someone who has to deal with the Titans fans on a daily basis um the let's I want to talk about this whole like who do you think is going to get fired I just think the only guy that's realistically going to get fired that is I would say Jason hoteling should. <laughs> I mean, like, I think there, there's, there's just, there. I think yeah. you, you, I think that should, and I think that should be like the way to go. Maybe if you want to demote him or something, I don't know, because he ain't going to get a job as a offensive line coach anywhere else. Maybe you move him around or something. But I also think I liked your idea that Rob Moore should be on there because Rob Moore was a guy to not count as a buddy yeah. because it's, he's kind of like that one friend that you have that you just kind of talk to and wish happy birthday like once a year. And uh, so he's more of an acquaintance, not a variable buddy, because yeah. he's never been promoted, never been given any extra thing. He's just he's just kind of there. Yeah. So I kind of agree with those a two. long time. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of agree with those two. I don't think Tim Kelly's going to get fired. And I no, don't, I don't really think, so. think he should anymore. I don't I don't think he should be because for this reason, too, one of the worst things you could do for Will Levis right now would be to rip out the coordinator, change the whole system again, move everything around, and, and all of a sudden you've got a whole brand new offense to learn for the fourth consecutive year. Um, like, we saw this story with Marcus Mariota. We saw this story with other quarterbacks that this franchise has brought in, and other franchises do it too. It's not just the Titans. But this idea that like you fire your coordinator because your offense sucks with a rookie quarterback, like that is what a rookie quarterback does. They produce shitty offenses for the vast majority of the time, right? Like, so no, Tim Kelly has to be here next year. Like I've seen enough from Tim Kelly that I like to say that like, he's not the huge issue. It's the fact that they cannot block anyone on the edge and they are starting a rookie quarterback without elite weapons. So yeah, it, Tim Kelly must be back. But sorry, sorry, I didn't um, mean to derail there. No, but I just no. feel strongly about the the Tim Kelly thing. Well, and then I want to switch to Shane Bowen because I don't think Shane Bowen should get fired either. Now he may get hired for a head coaching job because he's like one of the the hotter names that people throw around out in the national media. Interesting. I'm yes. not going to be mad if Shane Bowen is fired, but this idea that like, look, let me say something. The defense wasn't good last year. The defense has rarely been good, even with Jim Schwartz here. Like, it has been more exciting, but it's not been very good. And let me say something. I think Shane Bowen, if you put Miles Garrett and Zadarius Smith on this team, 
I think Shane Bowen would do pretty well. I yeah. think if you gave him Denzel Ward, I think he would do pretty well. Like it's it's a lack of talent on this defense, uh, a lack of people not being able to do their to physically to physically do their job. Like you got Jack Gibby in there, which by the way, if you want to talk about developing players, about how well they couldn't even develop Monty Rice. Monty Rice sucked in college, but also that they developed Jack Gibby. <laughs> I mean, like. Yeah from an undrafted free agent to be better than Monty Rice. So like there, this whole idea that Monty Rice, it accounts for anything other than another big schmear of the John Robinson resume yeah. is, is asinine, but they weren't going to fire Shane Bowen after what many perceive in the fan base and nation nationally as a good year by the Titans defense to hire a guy that wanted to leave. And he didn't want to leave because of anything bad. He just wanted, he didn't want to be a defensive coordinator. Then he suddenly went and interviewed and got his, the only one interview, one hire. Yeah. And it's not because, and you don't do that to people. You don't do, specifically Mike Vrabel won't, but you'll be hard pressed to find that anybody fires anybody after a good, what is perceived as a good season to hire, to fire and hire someone in the house. It's just not, not the case. And, I and, and people are like, who's mentioned Bowen as uh, head coach candidate? I think it's Pelissero. I think he does his uh, yeah. top candidate. He, he has he a was, crazy. He had a big paragraph of, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he did a big paragraph on Shane Bowen. Like he was one like Shane Bowen was like one of the top ten. Gotcha. Um, and and, he's been and, like that for a couple of years now too. And I do. Um, agree. I was surprised. We were surprised that he didn't get an interview last coaching cycle. I kind of thought he might last year, um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I mean, like, yeah, this idea that the defense has completely fallen off the map is kind of crazy to me because it's just not based in any sort of reality. Like if you look at DVOA last year, they were 19th this year, they're 22nd. Um, you know, if you look at points per game last year, they were 14th this year, they're 16th. Like these hey, are worse marginal- differences yeah yeah with with a worse roster yeah you lost more guys than than you added for sure on defense anyways um yeah with that yeah kevin byard gets traded away with you know there's no that's uh, a plus yeah (laughs) i mean plus in the column (laughs) but you lose david long you lose uh you know i think zach cunningham was better than than dr gibby uh, you know despite some of cunningham's bad games here and there he i think he's still a better player um you know, I, I think Bud Dupree g- gave you something when he was healthy and on the field. I, De- Demarcus Walker was a good player for them last year that's gone. So I, I think there's certainly he got overpaid talent. and is doing nothing. Mario Edwards yeah. is another guy that left yeah. that they probably should have kept. He was useful. Yeah. Um, they just don't have the depth and the talent at the starting 11, and they don't have the depth behind it. But Cleveland does. <laughs> I mean, yes, like, yes. Cleveland is an all-star cast of people Cleveland who can play like man coverage. Three first and, round picks in the secondary, yeah. and like, yeah, and then Miles Garrett and, and Zadarius Smith coming off the edge, and I mean, they're they're loaded with talent, and then they've got uh, yeah. Awusu Koromoa in there. Like, they've got a ton of super talented players on that defense. Um, so yeah, I, I think this whole and this is not to say that the defense is good. It's just to no. say you have to put things in perspective, and it's not. It's not as bad as what you think it was compared to last year. Um, and, and particularly, I think it's more pers- player-based than anything. I think it's performance on the field. 
Like when you're on the field, the coaches can't do anything other than give you the plays that you have known and practiced and planned for. You have to go out there and execute. So yeah. it's up to them to execute. And I don't think right now that those particular players on defense and some of the players on offense are executing maybe because they can't, maybe because they don't care to, but I think it's just physically, I think they can't perform what you need. Specifically, you look at a guy like Jack Gibby, right? Yeah. So in, in my opinion, I, I, I'm i not going to be sad. I'm not going to be sad if Shane Bowen or surprised that Shane Bowen is fired. I don't think that you can point to this defense and say he should be fired. I think right now, and I don't think he will. Like, I don't, I just don't think it's very likely, but I think it's out of the two coordinators. I think it's more likely that Bowen is fired than Tim Kelly's fired. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And and I do think that the defense has gotten a little bit worse this year. Um, and it was a little bit worse the year before. Like it's, it's gotten worse two years in a row. Right. So I, I think there's a question to be asked there. Like in, in, I'm I'm in the same boat as you. Like if he leaves, fine. If he stays, fine. I don't think it's a big uh difference either way. I think ultimately the way to make this defense really good is to get better cornerbacks and get better edge rushers, which are the two premier positions in the NFL on defense and the Titans are not very good at either one of them. They don't have a superstar at either of those positions. So like I I that's why I don't think like expecting this defense to be a top five defense in the NFL is realistic when you don't have a superstar at either of the two most important positions on defense, right? Like that's like asking the Titans offense to be a top five offense with Brian Tannehill at quarterback. Like we saw it actually happen one time, which was incredible, but that's the exception, not the rule that that is like a, a rarity when you're able to get that kind of performance out of a team with mediocre players at their most important spots. All right, Mike. Tennessee Titans play the Miami Dolphins on Monday Night Football. Yeah. Luckily, the NFL has decided they had the foresight to schedule another game at the same exact time, um, which will be good for the casual fans. I imagine this will be the lowest rated Monday Night Football game in a very, 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 very long time. What is the other Monday Night game, though? To be honest, I don't know off the top of my head, uh, yeah. but it's going to be better than the Miami Dolphins versus the. Versus, um, the Miami Dolphins versus Tennessee Titans. Is there anything? Because like last season during the losing the losing uh, streak, we were kind of like, well, this could be the game, though. You know, Vrabel always has one of those games where he steals one that he and wins one that he shouldn't. And we've kind of been saying that here and there. And I think looking back on, you know, the Chargers and what they are and the Bengals and what they are, it's like, OK, maybe those games aren't that game but I don't think this team can be that team. Like this team left it all out in the field and still lost. To the and Colts. now you're facing, yeah, to the Colts. And now At you're home. facing the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> Away. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I just think that, I think we, this roster is just so bad. You can't say that this feels like one of those Mike Vrabel games, magic games where he's going to come back and they're going to win this when they should. Right. No, I I don't think that's going to happen this week. I, I think if that's going to happen, it'll happen against the Texans or the Seahawks in the the two games following this one. I think I think this game's going to be an absolute bloodbath. Um, I, there's the Titans' biggest weakness on defense is their inability to defend the pass. Guess what the Dolphins want to do to you all day long? They want to throw the ball on you. They've got you know Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. 
the Titans have nobody who can come close to defending those guys. Like it's just not, it's not going to happen. I'm sure Vrabel and Bowen will have a, a decent plan. Like, you know, they, but taking away those guys is way different than taking away Adam Thielen, right? Like it's right. just a different, different deal. Uh, so I think this is going to be a bloodbath. I just don't see any way the Titans can hang with those guys on offense now. And on the flip side, it, I think uh, Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey against the Titans corners or against the Titans wide receivers rather like, I think it's going to be a long day for Will Levis trying to pass the ball uh, against that defense. I think the hope would be maybe you can, you know, get Derrick Henry going and have a, a vintage Henry game, but there are, um, there's just way too much to overcome in this game. The, the, to, for the Titans to win this game, they're going to need like four turnovers and uh, like a couple Levis bombs that, that hit uh, for, for this to even be a contest in my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I think that when you get down to it, there's just nothing there for you guys. And I don't know why this uh, got in there. Oh. Yeah. I, on, on our stream here. No, no clue. Um, but yeah, anyway. I, I think... I think uh, <laughs> I fully expect this to be like a David Long revenge game. Like, I think all the worst things are going to happen here. Um, the Titans have been bad on the road all season. Um, so I think the idea that they're going to go to Miami, who is competing for a one seed, um, and you've got Tyreek Hill, who's trying to, you know, break the single season receiving yards record. I think he's going to be I – th I think Tyreek Hill might put up like 250 yards and, and two or three touchdowns. I, I think he's going to put up insane stats in this game because the Titans have nobody who can cover him. They just don't. Well, we're talking about the, you know, the second half with Will Levis, and you go to the Miami Dolphins, and now they, they have the second best – or they have the seventh best second half defense. <laughs> there's, just, there's just nothing I don't think – this team's going to do. I think everybody's going to overblow what David Long does in this game. And they're going to be like, oh, we should have kept David Long. That's to me, like, that's the I hate when people bring it up because it's the furthest problem that this team has is oh, yeah, the presence of David Long. David Long being here would be nice. I, I like, I'd like to have him, but it's not like his his absence has ruined the season. Like, that's not even close. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, it's not even close. And so, like, I, I'm sure he's going to get his. They're going to send him on some pressures because that's what they do. I just don't see – this team doesn't even like to run. I mean, they'll run, but this team doesn't even really want to run, the Miami Dolphins. And, you know, what do they do with Derrick Henry? Are they just going to roll with Ty J Spears the whole time? Which I'm fine with, right? Like, Ty J Spears is going to give you more juice in this game and probably is going to be – you know, even if Derrick Henry is healthy, he'd probably be written out of the game plan as the game went, goes on and the game gets out of hand anyway. So to me, it's just like you look at it on. It doesn't really matter at this point <laughs> what happens. If this team somehow even plays it close, I'll be pleasantly surprised. Final prediction for the Tennessee Titans versus Miami Dolphins. I'm sticking with 45 to 10. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a, a bloodbath. But yeah, I will say the last time the Titans scored 30 points was against the Dolphins. <laughs> Two well, there you years go. ago. Yeah, a little bit different. A little bit different team. Very different you teams know, this time around. Very uh, different team. 
And and by the way, the, apparently the, that loss really is stuck with the Dolphins fans. They brought it up as uh, on that Dolphins podcast I did as like something that's really stuck in their crawl over the last couple of years. And I'm like, oh, so this is going to be like a revenge game on top of, uh, you know, the fact that y'all are going to totally outclass the Titans. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be. Yeah, the, the Dolphins are averaging 32 points per game this season. The Titans haven't scored 32 since, you know, in 700-something days since that, that game. Uh, it's going to be a little bit longer yeah, because Tennessee be Titans are losing 48-14. to 14. Okay. Yeah, so we're pretty close. We're pretty close on score. We're pretty there. close. <laughs> that will do it for us. Football and other F-words. Kind of a depressing way to end this show. <laughs> but you know what will cure your depression? Go to Bluegrass. Draft talk. Oh, draft talk. We'll be watching drafts <laughs> coming up. But Bluegrass Beverages in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Uh, it's where you're going to find everything that ails you, like all your, your elixirs and solution to all your problems can be found over at Bluegrass Beverages in Hendersonville, Tennessee. He's Mike Herndon at Mike Herndon NFL on X. I'm Zach Lyons at F Words Pod. You can get both of us on stackinginbox.com. Well, you can get me on stackinginbox.com. You can get him on paulkarski.com. Great articles this week. Go check them all out at both those websites. For Mike, I'm Zach Lyons. This has been Football and Other F-Words, and you have just been F'd.